Hello, City First Church family and everybody that is joining us from all over. Thank you for joining us today. You know, I say this every week, but I want to commend you for staying connected to City First, even though we're not physically able to gather together. You know, the world right now is full of a lot of crazy, isn't it? Crazy confusion and panic and fear, anxiety, and even loneliness. And it's so vitally important that we prioritize gathering together like we're doing right now, even though it's online. You know, we have actually, in the last couple of weeks, had an exponential increase of our online viewership. And it's been amazing. Literally, there are thousands and thousands and thousands of more people watching us here at City First for these services. So I want to just commend you also for inviting your friends and your family and your coworkers and fellow students to join us. And if you haven't invited them, please do so. Here's the reason why. Jen and I are praying that this time together brings hope and strength to every single person watching. I want you to know that Jen and I are praying for you, that we love you, and that we are going through this crisis and this season together. Now, when I say together, many of us right now are together in our homes, right? In fact, the DeWert family has been together a lot over the last week. Because here in Illinois, we have to stay in our homes. And so, you know, there are moments that we're getting a little stir-crazy and moments that we're getting on each other's nerves. There's even moments that we're having to be creative on how to keep our daily routines. Now, for some of you, you are super organized at planning out your day. And so even though right now you're together with your family or maybe even you're at your apartment or your home, you have it organized. In fact, I saw this lady's post this week about the quarantine routine that she has, and it says this. She posted online that her quarantine routine is 7 a.m. wake up, skin care, stretch, make bed, eat breakfast, get dressed. 8 a.m. do something for your soul, meditate and read. 8.30 to 11.30 do something for your brain. Attend online lectures, do homework and study, read for school, work on puzzles, if you're all done. And then from 12 to 1, she takes lunch. And then 1 to 1.30, she is reading, sunbathing, going for a walk. She has her schedule locked down. Now, for some of you that are listening to that, you're thinking, that is so not my life. You are not regimented like that. And so you may be like this person that I found their post online. And this is their quarantine routine. From 3 a.m. to 2 p.m., sleep with the dog. From 2 p.m. to 3 a.m., feed the dog, cuddle the dog, praise the dog, play with the dog, nap with the dog, feed the dog, play with the dog again, give the dog head rubs, cuddle the dog with the dog some more, and then just repeat. Now, maybe that's more like your life. Now, notice something. Notice something. It's a dog, right? That would not be the same routine if you had a cat. If you had a cat, the routine would be something like this. 7 a.m., wake up, 701, remember you own a cat, rest of the day, be depressed, right? You see, some of you I just offended right now that are cat lovers, but this is the thing. We are in some crazy days, aren't we? Like for the last week, we have been our shelter in place kind of, you know, regiment here up in Rockford, and I will tell you, it has felt like a month 
These days, we are just trying to do what we can and live one day at a time to try not to get too far to, into our future. You see, for many of you right now, you're struggling. You're still trying to figure out how to homeschool your kids or how to adjust to working from home or maybe you're facing job loss or maybe you've been furloughed or right now you're just facing the unknown. You know, we're in the midst of some uncharted waters. And so many things around us seem unstable and uncertain right now. But here is the good news. God is with us in the uncertainty. You see, today I want to talk to you about how you can have hope while you are waiting. I hate waiting. You know, many of you, you hate waiting too, right? In fact, right now we're doing a lot of waiting, aren't we? You see, before the coronavirus crisis, we were bothered by having to wait at a stoplight. Or maybe we had to wait for our food a little too long in the drive-thru, and that really irritated us. Or maybe we were frustrated because we were waiting to check out at the register at the mall, and they didn't have enough attendance at the registers, and we had to wait an extra five minutes to pay for our clothes. Or maybe we were waiting in school for the lunch break to come. But now, now we're in a different type of waiting. And how many of us would give about anything to go back to that type of waiting that I just explained, right? See, we're in a different type of waiting. Now we're in a waiting that has a lot of unknowns. In fact, in the waiting, our spirits can become a little bit shaky. And today, the message is focused on a verse that is in Psalm 131. And this is a verse that is a message from God to his people. In the Old Testament, that was Israel. But can I tell you, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, which means this, that this message is for a new audience for us here today in 2020 also. It reads this in Psalm 131, verse 3. Wait, Israel for God. Wait with hope. Hope now, hope always. Many times I like to personalize scriptures, so I would even say it this way. I would say, wait, city first, for God. Wait with hope. Hope now, hope always. I don't know if you've noticed over the last week or so, I've had the team here at City First post the hashtag, hope now, hope always, on our social media platforms. And here's the reason why. Because I believe there's hope in the waiting. We can hope now, and we can hope always, even though we are waiting. You know, many of you know that our youngest son has Down syndrome. We have three amazing boys, and when Paxton, our youngest, was born, it created for us a new normal for the DeWert family. And I want to tell you, he's such a gift. In fact, right now, he is living his best life. I mean, he loves hanging around with mom and dad, and all of his brothers are home, and we're just all together in the house. Every morning he gets up, and he is all smiles because he gets to hang with us all day long. In fact, before all this happened, whenever I'd go to the store, many people would come up to me, and they'd ask, how's Paxton doing? Not how are you doing, Jeremy, or how's Jen, or any of the other boys, but rather, how's Paxton? He is the most popular of the word. I guarantee it. Well, he's eight years old now, and I want to say that he didn't walk until he was almost three years old. He has what is called low muscle tone. 
And many times kids with Down syndrome have this. They're a little noodly. And, and so where you and I, we started crawling and then walking as our muscles got stronger. Well, for Pax, the process was very difficult and it was very delayed. For most kids, they start walking around, oh, one years old or so. Well, for Pax, one went by and then his second birthday went by and then he was two and a half years old and he's still not walking. And during that entire time, we were getting help from doctors. In fact, he was having therapy twice a week and yet he was still not walking. We prayed. We laid hands on him, and we asked God to strengthen his muscles. And you know what happened? Nothing happened. We had braces made for his legs and for his ankles. We put him in therapy. We had special pants that were purchased for him, and they were compressed like pants that compress his muscles so it made it easier for him to walk. And we bought him a little walker that we tried to get him to use. We prayed even more, and guess what? Still no walking. We waited and we worked with him. We waited and prayed with him. And nothing for two and a half years happened. And then right before his third birthday, something amazing happened. Watch this. Pretty amazing, huh? In fact, you know what? Um, we called those pants his super suit or his Nacho Libre pants. So what is my point here? My point is, is this. Sometimes when we're in difficult seasons, three things happen. And I want you to listen very closely to them because I want to be very transparent with you and I want to be able to come alongside you during this crisis. The three things that happen sometimes during crisis is this. Number one, prayers may not get answered as quickly as we want them to be answered. Also, you wait longer than you want to. You many times find yourself in the crisis longer than you want to be. And lastly, in the waiting, you must do the work. So allow me to take a moment and dive into these three truths a little deeper here in our time together. Back in Psalm 131, we realize this is the third shortest psalm in the Bible. There's only three verses. And it was written by who we believe to be King David, who was a very powerful man in the Old Testament. He was probably Israel's most famous king. And he writes this psalm, and, and you know what? He talks about having hope in the waiting. But I'd like us to do this. I'd like us to go back and go to the first verse. Lord, my heart is not proud. My eyes are not haughty. I don't concern myself with matters too great or too awesome for me to grasp. You know what waiting does? Waiting either creates impatience or humility. David decided to allow it to create humility in him. A crisis tends to put us in our place. In fact, this crisis is putting us in our place. We understand how much we are in control and all the things that we are not in control of. It helps us gain an accurate perspective of who we really are. And many times that creates humility. You know, there's a certain amount of humility that we as individuals in a nation are experiencing right now because we're facing something really big and none of us can get out of this mess on our own. 
David said that he doesn't concern himself with those big things because they're too awesome to grasp. You know, some of you, your prayer life looks a little bit like this right now. I posted this on my Instagram earlier this week. In fact, a prayer that says, Dear Jesus, a lot of mumbling, and then amen. How many of you can resonate with that, right? Some of us, that's our prayers. We don't even know what to pray. We're confused. We're stressed right now. We're a little depressed. But listen, when we pray, we may not see immediate answers right away, but God is listening. Prayer makes us understand that we are not in control. The very act of prayer is asking a God who's bigger than us, bigger than our situations, to intervene into our circumstances. I don't understand why things happen the way that they do. I get asked this a lot as a pastor. People come up and say, why did this happen? Why did this happen? Why didn't God do this, this, or this? And the real answer is, I, I don't know. I don't understand why some prayers are answered and some are not answered right away. I don't understand a lot about prayer, but I do know this. Prayer works every time in me. Prayer works every time in me, in my soul, and in my heart and mind. You see, sometimes prayers don't get answered as quickly as you want them to, but realize this. Realize that prayer is working right now in you. I remember when I was a kid driving to Colorado with my mom and dad, we were going to visit some family who lived out in Littleton, Colorado, which is a suburb of Denver. And uh, on the way from Illinois to Colorado, you have to drive through the state of Iowa and the state of Nebraska. Now, for those of you that think that Illinois is flat and boring to drive through, you should drive through Nebraska, let me tell you. Now, I realize some of you might be watching right now online from Nebraska. I apologize, but I'm just speaking the truth right now. Your state is really flat. And there's a lot of nothing once you get past Omaha. And I remember as a kid, I'd be in the backseat of the car, and we'd be driving through Nebraska, and I was thinking to myself, are we ever gonna get there, right? It always takes longer when you're anxious to get someplace. In fact, in life, when we're anxiously awaiting to arrive at a destination, it seems like the journey is really, really long. You see, in a crisis, like what we're going through right now, it feels really long because we have a desire to get to the other side. We have a destination that we have in our minds. We want to go back to life as normal, but this crisis is most likely going to take longer than we want. I, I hate to admit it, but I also want to be very honest with you. We may be in this crisis for a lot longer than we want to be. And I will tell you what makes a road trip feel really super long is when you're constantly looking at the map and counting the miles, right? You're always looking at the map. Back in the old day when I was like a kid and I was going to Colorado, we actually had a physical map. Nowadays, if you're looking at where your GPS marker is on your smartphone, you see the little blue dot moving very slowly. Well, if you constantly are looking at your current position and looking at where you want to be, the journey is going to be super long. And what is going to make this season of waiting feel very long is counting the days and trying to control everything. Do you hear that? 
You see, when people are out of control, a common coping mechanism or strategy is to focus on the things that they can control, like buying toilet paper. You see, when you try to control the uncontrollable, the waiting is long and full of stress. So in this season, could God maybe just be saying to us, let go of control? Quit trying to control everything. Instead of asking, what can I control? Begin asking, what can I choose about this situation? You see, I may not be able to control all the circumstances going on around me, but I can sure choose hope in the waiting. I can choose what my attitude is going to be. I can choose what I'm going to focus on. As we close today, remember how I told you that Jen and I have a son with Down syndrome. And for years, Pax was unable to take his very first step. In that moment, there was a lot of discouragement. I would be up here on the stage preaching to the church week after week about a God who answers prayer, about a God who listens, but yet seemingly he wasn't listening to our prayers for our own son. In fact, in that time, as I'd preach about God healing and God restoring and God doing miracles, God seemingly was not doing that in our own home. Now, I was not being hypocritical. Instead, when I was preaching those things, I was reminding myself as well as City First that regardless of what we see, God is faithful and he is true to his word. And so I kept speaking it over my situation. But in the waiting, we also were doing a lot of work with Paxton. We were putting him in therapy. We were exercising with him. We were praying over him. We were doing the work. And you ever had somebody look at you and say, hey, just be patient. How does that make you feel when you're impatient, right? Usually you don't want to receive that. But for some of us today, as your pastor, can I just lovingly say this? Be patient. Be patient. It says in Romans chapter 8, verses 24 through 25, For this is the hope of our salvation. But hope means that we must trust and wait for what is still unseen. Do you hear that? For why would we need hope for something we already have? You ever thought about this? You didn't need hope if you already have what you want. You don't need hope if you're not in a season of crisis. And so here the Apostle Paul is saying to the church in Rome, he's like, hey, listen, you don't even need hope if you already have what you want. So because our hope is set on what is yet to be seen, we patiently keep on waiting for its fulfillment. Patiently keep on waiting. What does patience mean in the Bible? It means this. It means obedience until... And so that means this, that while you're waiting, you're doing the work. I must be obedient and do the work until I realize what I am hoping for, until it comes to fruition, you could say. Patience is not just about sitting around. It's not just about being on autopilot. It's not about aimlessly waiting, but rather patience is obedience until you have what you hope for. You're doing the work in the waiting. So, what is our work right now? You might say, okay, Jer, what's the work that we're to be doing right now in this crisis? 
I think the most important work, listen closely to this, and if you don't remember anything else I say, remember this. The most important work we can do right now is to change our thinking. To change our thinking. You're like, really? I thought the most important work is to social distance, to stay in our homes. Oh, that's important. But I will tell you the most important work that you personally can do is to change your thinking. Do you know that God is far more interested in changing you than changing your circumstances? See, hope is a byproduct of a managed mind. An unmanaged mind leads to fear and stress and anxiety and worry and hopelessness. But a managed mind leads to peace and stillness and joy and hope. Your mind is your greatest asset in life. Do you hear that? It's the most important thing, and here's the reason why. Out of your mind flows your life. In fact, it says in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, it says, Be careful what you think, because your thoughts run your life. So that's why it's the most important asset, because your mind determines where your life goes. Because out of your thoughts, that becomes our actions and our motives and how we see life. And guess what? Your mind has to be managed in this season and even when we're past this season. See, during the waiting, we must work on our thought life. So the next logical question, if I'm you, is to ask me this. How do I manage my mind? Well, I'm glad you asked. There's three things you could do that I want to close with. Number one is this, feed your mind with truth. Feed your mind with truth. Focus on the word of God during this season. Take the promises of God and personalize them. Stay connected to City First Church, like what you're doing right now. In fact, the whole reason why we do daily prayer at noon central time, why we are helping on Wednesday nights to do special events online, why we are having these weekend services, why we are posting things on social media is for you to have truth to feed your mind. It's so important during this time that you stay connected to truth. And that is something that you must do through pursuing God through his word as well as some something that we're going to help come alongside you and do. We're going to give you plenty of truth to focus on. The second thing is this, avoid negativity. In fact, have no time for negativity. Your mind needs to be liberated from negativity. And this is so not easy to do. See, some of us have what I call rut thinking. Rut thinking is this. You ever been out in a forest somewhere or taken a hike, and it's a path that literally hundreds and hundreds and maybe thousands of people have worn that path through the forest? You see, it becomes a little bit of like a rut. Nothing can grow there. Instead, people walk that back and forth. And in the same way, your thoughts have traveled the same pathways for a long time. Maybe some of you have negative thinking, and your brain just automatically defaults to that rut thinking, to that path. You have to change that. You have to change your mind. It is not easy to do, but you can do it. In fact, I would even say this. Say to yourself, I don't have to believe everything I think. Let me say that again. I don't have to believe everything I think. It is 
so important for you to embrace that truth. There are thoughts that will fly through your head that doesn't mean you have to embrace them or let them take root in your soul. There was a pastor that I served under when I was a youth pastor, and his name, he was a senior pastor, his name was Sam Mayo. And he used to have this old saying. He was kind of a southern pastor. You could say he grew up in Atlanta. And he'd say this. He'd say, you know what? You can't keep the birds from flying over your head, but you can keep them from nesting in your hair. Now, what he meant by that is this, is you can't keep the negative thoughts from going through your mind, but you can keep the negative thoughts from taking root in your soul. Do you understand that? So you don't have to believe everything you think. The last thought is this, is think about Jesus. How do you have hope? How do you change your mind? Think about Jesus. Please do not think that is some bumper sticker kind of theology I'm giving you there. There is a deep truth to that. How would Jesus respond to what we're going through? What did he say about trials and tribulations? How did he live? How does he want me to respond to what I'm going through right now? Many of you remember this about a decade ago or so. We used to all wear these little bracelets that said WWJD. What would Jesus do? You know, it became so popular, it almost became a little cliche and a little cheesy. But I want to remind us of the deep truth behind those bracelets. What would Jesus do right now if he were going through what you're going through, what I'm going through? See, Jesus has plenty of truth, plenty of experience, plenty of things to speak to us about what we're going through. So just as a recap, remember, hope comes when we pray. Hope comes when we try not to control everything and speed things up. And hope comes when we do the work of managing our minds while we're waiting. Remember that verse that David wrote thousands of years ago, Psalm 131, verse three. Wait, Israel, wait city first for God. Wait with hope. We now know how to do that. Hope now, hope always. There is hope in the waiting and there is hope in what is coming. You understand that God is for you. He loves you. He has not abandoned you. So do the work in the waiting and experience the hope that God has for you. As we close, I want to give an opportunity to people that are watching right now, if you say, I don't have a personal relationship with Jesus. I don't know him as my leader and my savior, my Lord and my forgiver. I don't know him that way and I would like to. Today, I wanna lead you in a simple prayer to make Jesus the leader and the forgiver of your life. You're not joining a church today. You're not joining City First. Rather, you're joining the family of God. And why, why do we pray this prayer? Because the Bible says that there is a barrier between us and a perfect God, and that barrier is called sin. It's all the wrong choices that we've ever made. It's all of the bad things that we've ever done. And we need to be forgiven for those things so that we can have relationship with a perfect God. And the only way that that can happen is that God sent his son to die on a cross and pay the debt or the penalty, the price of our sin. We celebrate Easter 
every single year, we celebrate the fact that Jesus died on a cross and he rose from the dead for me and for you. And so you need to know this, that God loves you with an unconditional love. He loves you just the way that you are, but he loves you enough not to keep you the way that you are. He wants to help you. He wants to rescue you out of your sin. And he did this through the work of the cross when he sent his son, Jesus, to die. So if you would like to pray a prayer, will you just bow your heads right now, wherever you're at, in your living room, as you're watching on your smartphone, just bow your heads and repeat this prayer after me. And this is inviting Jesus to become the leader and the forgiver of your life. Go ahead and repeat this prayer after me. Jesus, I come to you today and I need you. I ask for forgiveness for all of my sin. Come into my life and be the leader of my life. I embrace your unconditional love. Thank you, Jesus, for being with me and not abandoning me and giving me hope. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, City First, for joining us. We love you. We care about you. We are with you in this, and we'll see you next week.